yeah, boys and girls. Episode 134 with JC and Dean is about to start, and JC was another great interview, and we chatted about a lot of things, and one thing in particular that resonated with me was he was a former fat kid just like me and wrote an article about it and Men's Health was so impressed about it that they interviewed him. And the other cool thing we chat about is organ meats for your health. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is an amazing individual. His name is JC Dean. Say hello. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. No problem. So, the first thing I always like to do is ask my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? Um, not sure about the weekend, but tonight it is Friday, so uh, once I'm done with work and everything's over for the day, I'm um, having some people over and... Uh, I'm cooking Peruvian beef heart, which wow. is is a um, it's a recipe is called anticuchos, and uh, yeah, kind of a something I don't really cook that often, but I'm excited because it's really tasty and it's been marinating for a couple of days, Jeez. and uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So how, <laughs> how, how did you get to that recipe? Like, are you a big foodie at all? Um, no, I don't consider myself a big foodie. I, uh, I cook a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but the reason I found this recipe was my best friend is a music teacher and I'll make a long story really short. He's a music teacher. He's been traveling to South America teaching, uh, music lessons, um, just for like the last 20 years, uh, just as a, a side gig that he had. And he told me uh, about the cuisine in Peru, and he was like, oh, well, he was like, if you ever come with me to Peru, um, we got to eat anticuchos. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, it's beef heart, and they serve it on, it's like, a, it's like a street food for them. And so I was really curious about it, and I was like, okay, well, I looked it up, and I found the recipe, and I was like, well, this looks pretty easy to make, and I'm trying to eat more organ meat, you know, just for the health benefits, and... I ended up making it like the first time we ate it. He was like, dude, you nailed it. And uh, it was a really good recipe. I love it. And then uh, I actually went to Peru with him um, four years ago this summer. And we, and I got to try it for myself and it was, it was super good. So. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll probably touch on that in a bit, but just for my audience sake, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? Sure. My name is JC Dean. I am a fitness coach, a fitness writer. I primarily uh, work in the space now doing online coaching, uh, working, I guess you would say, as an educator. Uh, I write articles, write really long-form articles uh, explaining various concepts and how to apply it to nutrition and training. And the way I got into this industry was kind of by accident. Um, I was in college and I made some friends who were all really into lifting. And when I was growing up, I was a chubby kid and I ended up uh, getting involved in athletics at a young age. 
And that was primarily due to my mother, like wanting me to get involved with other kids. And I got involved at a young age and then just fell in love with athletics and then grew up, went through high school. And as a part of being athletics, it took me from being like a fat kid to a not so fat kid, but still kind of chubby. And then I got into college, excuse me, made some friends that were really into lifting. And then I was just like, I continued the lifting habit. You know, I basically, I was done with athletics, but I still was interested in training. So I continued to train and then I got into college. And like I said, met those friends, we trained all the time together. And then we, we did this best body competition, which basically was, okay, we're all fat right now. Let's see who can become the leanest in three months. And we're going to all put a bet like 50 bucks in. And then we're going to have three people that don't know us come in and judge us. And we're going to strip down our underwear and see who has the best body. And so I did that, um, completely transformed my body within like three or four months time and, uh, took second place in the competition, had full row abs for the first time in my life and was like, wow, this is not only super rewarding, but it was, a, it was an educational process at the same time. Like I learned so much about myself as an individual. I learned about manipulating training and nutrition and, uh, it was a really, really interesting thing to go through on a personal level. And then I decided that I wanted to really take uh, fitness uh, more seriously and start learning a lot more about it. So I started doing what I think everyone does. They go to the internet, they start reading as much as they can. At, at this point in time, message boards were really big. Social media wasn't, uh, you know, it was there, but it hadn't really like grown as much as it has now. And as a result of that, I made a good friend who um, I was I've been friends with ever since, for since 2008. I was just chatting with him recently before we got on the call. Um, he helped me set up my website. He helped me install WordPress, do you know, do that whole thing. And then I just started writing articles. And then a few years after writing articles, I went to a fitness conference uh, called the Fitness Summit in Kansas City. That's uh, where I met uh, Alan Aragon. And I had kind of met him online before we met at that first conference and he had read some of my stuff and seemed to like me and I was a huge fan of his and we became friends and met at the conference and uh, I remember specifically having a conversation with him. I was in school going to going to class five days a week working 20 hours a week on the weekends at a call center hated my job and um, we were on the phone and I was, I was telling them like what I was, you know, doing. And, and I was like, I also brought up this idea is like, you know, I really think I want to do fitness like, like full time. I think I really want to like take the plunge and train people and, and write and do all this stuff. And he's like, well, dude, he's like, I, I totally know you can do it. Like if you, if you just, if you just go after it, man, you've got the ability. He's like, just do it. And so, um, I basically was in a situation where I had to quit my job because I was on a, I was on academic scholarship Mm -hmm. and I had to basically choose between a four hour schedule or school because they changed the schedule at work and, um, it conflicted with my, with my academic schedule. So I ended up quitting my job in February, 2010. And I've just been doing it ever since I'm coaching people, training people, and then I really got into the online space and then uh, fully moved over to um, 
selling products and doing online coaching and programming. Awesome. I, I love guests like you where I just like ask one question and you could just go off for like 15 minutes, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try to like unravel everything, what you just said. But the sure. first thing I wanted to touch on is like when you call yourself like a chubby or fat kid, like if you had to like put a number, like how much weight were you overweight? Yeah, I don't know. That's okay. um, it's it's really a, a subjective thing. I think, yeah. um, you know, if I look back objectively as much as I can, you know, I was pretty chubby growing up, but I I wasn't like, you know, I was overweight, but I wasn't like obese or anything into um, high school. So, so, you know, going through puberty and everything kind of. Um, even things out, especially with all the activity from training. But I mean, I don't know. I lost like 30 plus pounds whenever I got in shape for that um, best body competition. So um, it wasn't like I was incredibly overweight, but I, uh, at the, at the, like when I was younger, I was way more overweight, like to the mm-hmm. point to where I would wear like the biggest clothes, the baggiest yeah. clothes, because I was afraid that people would see off fat I was, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even though like looking back at it, it's like, it just looked really silly. But when you're a young kid and you're so self-conscious about being overweight, it, it, you don't really care, you know? So, yeah. Um, but, but I'll just say like, I wasn't obese. Like I wasn't one of those people that lost a hundred pounds. You know, I don't want to give off that, uh, you know, that view or anything. Okay. The, the other thing I'm kind of curious about too, is like, you know, when you think back when you were kind of chubby and everything like that, and even when people have their own like transformation where they become fit and strong and everything like that, but sometimes they'll still look in the mirror and look at that chubby kid. Like, do you experience any of those issues at all right now? Um, I don't experience that anymore. Okay. And yeah, I don't have those feelings anymore. I think I've gotten beyond that. Um, and in fact, like I wrote an article many years ago called the former fat boy syndrome. And it was all about, you know, I went through this transformation. I visibly was very fit and, you know, I would look in the mirror and I would still see my former fat self. And I would always see like these things that I needed to fix. So I've got too much lower ab fat or, you know, my abs are not as sharp as they need to be or my upper chest needs to be bigger or, you know, whatever, like always like knit, nitpicky little things when someone else would look at you and be like, wow, man, I wish I looked like that. I wish I had the discipline to look like that or whatever. And so, um, I wrote that article and then, uh, men's health actually interviewed me and, uh, we talked about that a little bit. And, uh, it's been really interesting because a lot of, especially a lot of dudes have written to me really resonating with that, even though they've gotten in really great shape, they still see themselves as their former fat selves. So, but I, I think I've gotten beyond it. I mean, uh, let me rephrase that. I have definitely gotten beyond it. Like I, I don't look in the mirror anymore and see that former, you know, fat kid. Yeah. Well, that, that's awesome to hear. Cause I know a lot of people struggle with that still, but I'm kind of curious, like when those guys were reaching out to you, cause one, it was amazing that a, even a guy would actually write to you and be like, Hey, I have issues, please help. Um, what like advice did you give them to kind of guide them in the right, right direction? Sure. So most of the advice was very much, uh, like pain avoidance type of advice. And what I mean by that is I would, I would usually ask the question, 
or I would I would phrase it in a way that, look, I know that you've lost weight. I know that you've, you know, you've made great progress, and you still feel like you uh, have a lot, you know, you have a lot further to go. Truth of the matter is, is that, you know, you have to ask yourself the question: Are you going to regret? Are you going to regret your decisions now, two or three years down the line? And to be very specific, a lot of these guys would come to me and they're like, hey, I've lost all this weight, but now I'm like, I really want to build muscle and I want to get stronger because I'm tired of dieting all the time. And I, you know, I, I look really skinny in clothes and everyone asks me if I'm like getting sick and, and I would say, well, here's the thing, you know, that in order to gain weight, you got to eat more. I know you're afraid to do that, but if you don't do that and you keep doing what you're doing now, are you going to be happy? in two or three years. And chances are you're not going to be happy and you're probably going to hurt yourself, you know, because you can only go so long on, on very few calories and lots of training volume. And I would, I would get to the point where I would, I would be like, which pain is greater is the pain of dealing what you're dealing with now and just continue, you know, continuing to do that. Or, or is the pain, you know, going to be greater when you look back in three years, wishing you'd taken my advice and lifted more and ate more and got stronger. And, um, you know, honestly, that was, that's like, I think it's kind of hard for a lot of people to take because what they want to hear is, oh, here's the magic pill. Here's exactly how to, you know, build muscle without getting any fat, you know, gaining any fat. You're not going to get any fatter and you're just going to have this magical, you know, transformation, but it's just not true. And I think former fat boys, former fat people in general, they they're so afraid of going back to their former self that their mind just just plays a lot of tricks on them, you know, um, just lies to them. And, and it's, it's irrational. And we can sit here and talk about how, how irrational it is all day. But when you have those emotions tied up in it, it's really hard to get through to someone. So my advice was pretty, you know, I was empathetic, but it was very like, look, you know, you need to do what you need to do and you need to be honest with yourself or you're going to regret not taking my advice two years down the line. And if you're not, then cool. Then don't, you know, do whatever you want to do. But that's how I typically handled it. That was really good advice. And like, personally, like I used to be the fat kid too. So everything you're saying is like resonating with me and like, yeah, you're awesome. (laughs) Um, The other thing I wanted to bring up, too, is, like, when you did that first, like, I'm going to try to get as shred as possible competition, like, what protocol did you follow or what did you stumble upon that kind of made you get into that? Sure. So it's it's been such a long time, but basically, like, I, I still remember, like, pretty much everything I did. So um, I was literally just reading magazines and reading internet forums at this point. I didn't really understand much about nutrition from a, from like a physiological standpoint. I just knew, Hey, I need to eat less. I need to exercise more and I need to put a priority on protein. And, uh, since I was in college, I had access to base to, to like an all, like an unlimited meal plan. So I made it a focus to get five servings of protein every single day. And I would uh, focus on all the the typical bodybuilding foods. Uh, Morning was uh, a bunch of egg whites and oatmeal, 
my midday snack or my mid-morning snack was like a protein shake of some sort. Lunch was rice or potatoes and lean chicken or lean beef uh, and vegetables. Uh, another like protein shake, usually in between uh, lunch and dinner. And then dinner, depending on what time I ended up eating dinner, I had this rule that I didn't eat carbohydrates after seven. And so if I ended up going to the hall, uh, food hall with my, with my friends at like seven 30 or eight, I would go through the line and get a couple of chicken sandwiches and I would just eat the chicken breast and then get a salad or something. Um, so it was just a lot of activity and trying to just not eat super fatty foods or high, high calorie foods. And, uh, I was up in the morning four or five days a week, usually in the gym doing like 30 to 40 minutes of cardio on the treadmill for, uh, you know, at like six o'clock or something before, before class. And then at the end of the day, uh, I would go lift, you know, three or four days a week and, I mean, it, it's not something I would recommend to um, anyone my age now or, or anyone who works like a regular job, but for the college kid that had a lot of time on his hands and relatively little stress from like outside sources other than just needing to like make good grades, I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, that, that sounds awesome. And I think the one thing I wanted to get into as well is like now that, you know, you've kind of done that getting super lean, super shredded. Like what's your like daily routine now just to like maintain your physique. Cause I think the hardest part is like you get to that point and not spiral back and like gain 40 pounds. Like how are, how's your maintenance right now? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I'm, I'm usually always working on some goal. I'm either focused on eating more and, upping my training volume or, you know, getting leaner. Like I'm always working on something because I just find it's, it's, um, just for the type of person I am, it's just better for me. And even, even looking at it that way, like I can even go through a maintenance phase, which to the outside person may look kind of, uh, uh, I won't say like rigid or anything, but very ritualistic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, like basically at this point, I'm, I'm focused on eating three or four meals a day. Uh, I go to the gym to train with weights five days a week. I am focused mostly on, uh, whole foods. You know, I don't really, I don't really follow a, uh, um, a typical, I mean, I would, I guess I would say my food choices are more in line with like maximal health, uh, than they are, um, trying to follow any particular plan like paleo or, or blue zones or anything like that. It's just mostly like what I understand about physiology and, and, uh, fairly, fairly moderate to high carb. Uh, but again, it really kind of depends because like, I actually, I have a coach too, that kind of does the driving and I just do, you know, uh, or mm-hmm. he does the driving and I just do, do what he asked me to. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how to answer it other than, um, if from the outside looking in, like someone might be like, Oh man, that's a, you know, typical bodybuilding, like style diet with sweet potatoes and, um, chicken and beef and, uh, greens. Um, but I, I place a high priority on micronutrient density. So 
Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm eating heart tonight. Um, I try to eat liver a couple times a week. I focus a lot on eating uh, gelatinous cuts like tendons and um, I love pho. I love bone broth. Nice. Um, yeah, I typically stay away from just like, I don't know, like I, I kind of have a huge uh, disdain for the, the if it fits your macros types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like it's not any just one person in particular. Like I don't, I don't, I don't like hate the person. Um, I just, I kind of just hate the message, I guess. But uh, anyway, I'm kind of going off. But yeah, that's, <laughs> does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like I wanted to bring up like the whole idea of eating organs because – that's not something you see on your Facebook feed of like, here are 10 organ meats that you should be eating. But could you kind of touch on like why you jumped on to eating organ meats for the nutrients and where can someone brand new that has never eaten liver in their entire life and looks at it like, what the fuck? I do not want to eat that. But can you mm-hmm. just like basic education on organ meats? Sure. So the basics are... There are lots of micronutrients, vitamins and minerals, to be had in organ meat. So to give you uh, the easiest example possible, um, beef liver in particular has an incredibly high amount of bioavailable vitamin A or retinol. And that is an important vitamin to get for hormone production and there's a whole bunch of other reasons like why we should be getting vitamin A. Um, and there's also, there's also a lot of other minerals and vitamins in uh, organ meats, heart, kidneys, uh, that, that a lot of people are missing out on just because we don't eat it, I say in the West, but like if you think about, if you think about traditional food and you think about like how long like how old America, I'm just going to use America because I'm American, right? But like, um, think about like how old our country is, right? It's not that old compared to uh, the civilizations in China or Japan. And if you look at their food, like their, their cuisine, they tend to eat what they call nose to tail. So they use every part of the animal possible. And in my opinion, this is the best way to live. And if you look at if you look at the research and you look at like human physiology from a standpoint of what our bodies need and uh, how we function, you know, there's an old saying, the old cliched saying of "you are what you eat," right? And there's a lot of truth in that. And so, uh, going back to the organ meat thing, so <clears throat> excuse me, uh, liver we know is really high in vitamin A. Uh, this is not necessarily considered an, uh, an organ per se, like organ meat, but like, let's say, let's say tendon, right? So most of the time when we eat uh, an animal, we mostly think of the muscle. We're going to eat, you know, whether it's a pork shoulder or a sirloin steak or chicken breast, but we oftentimes don't think about eating something else, like let's say the feet or uh, the tendons, um, you know, the cartilage, we don't, we don't tend to think about that because we tend to discard that stuff. Like if you ever watch someone eat chicken wings, most of the time they just eat the meat. They don't eat the ends and you can totally eat the ends. Cause that's where all the cartilage is. It's holding the muscles to the bone. So, uh, like one example of why you should eat the cartilage 
is because it contains amino acids. Uh, one in particular is like glycine, and it's a, and it's in high amounts in, in cartilage and, and gelatinous cuts of meat. But in muscle meats, it's in super low amounts. So uh, one of the main benefits, uh, and there's there's a ton on, on this, but like just eating glycine is really good from an anti-inflammatory perspective. And there are certain uh, amino acids in muscle meats that in too high amounts or without a proper balance with glycine can become, you know, inflammatory. Now, uh, the, I would say a really good intro to this, if, if anyone listening is interested in reading more about this and understanding, like, from a physiological perspective, there's a book called The First Diet, and it's written by a friend of mine named Sean Bissell. And uh, it's, I recommend it to everyone that I talk to that's interested in this. And I recommend it for two reasons. One, it's really, really good from a scientific perspective. He puts, he puts uh, a ton of references. So you can actually go and look and see where he's getting his information. He's not just pulling it out from anywhere. Um, you can go read and you can go reference and read more. But the other reason I recommend it is because it's incredibly easy to understand. Um, Sean has a gift for being able to like take super complicated and also boring uh, information about physiology and diet and putting it into a really easy uh, manner to understand. So uh, anyway, go, like one more thing I'll say about organ meats is uh, if, you're, if you're curious about eating organ meats and you've never had them before, the first thing I would encourage you to do is to kind of like, if, like I said, if you've never had liver, it can be really strong. And it's usually one of those tastes that you're just like, oh, this is disgusting or this is amazing. And for the record, I think it's disgusting. Um, I don't like it at all. But I try to eat a couple times a week because I really value health. And I know it's really important for me to get those vitamins and minerals that I might not be getting elsewhere. So I'm with you if you hate this shit because I, I hate liver. Um <laughs> But uh, a really good way to kind of like get into this is uh, I, I tell people to go to a, a good like Vietnamese restaurant and get pho and get 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 the real pho. Don't get the, uh, you know, white people version of pho, which is usually just the broth, um, the bean sprouts, the, the noodles, and then like flank steak or sirloin. Um, the real pho has all of that, but it also has... Uh, cartilage and tendon in it. It also has uh, tripe, which is uh, stomach, cow stomach. And um, depending on, you know, where you get it, it can have some other things in it too. But I usually tell people to start with that because that'll kind of give you an idea of like how different it is. And then for liver, um, just, just do some Googling. You can find some really good recipes because you can make liver taste really I'm not going to say really good because I don't like it, but you can t make it taste decent. Some people love it, so you may like it, but some people, you know, you can make it in a way that makes it taste really good. And I know Sean has some uh, recipes in the first diet book. Uh, I I didn't try his liver recipe, but like I said, I don't think anything can make liver taste good to me. But anyway, that's, that's how I feel about organ meats um, in general. I think everyone should eat them, and I think we should all try to incorporate them into our diet. Uh, I think it's hard for people because if you don't understand the benefit, then you're most likely going to be like, why would I eat that? I'd rather just have a beefsteak. That tastes way better. 
but if you learn to incorporate it a couple of times a week or even just once per week, you can you can get the, the vitamins and minerals in that one dose so you don't need to eat liver every night. Like, like one thing I tell people, if you eat a serving of liver, I think it's like six or eight ounces, you get like your whole week's worth of vitamin A wow. and then some. Yeah. Jeez. Have you ever tried like liver spread before? Oh, yeah. Like um, what do they call it? Pate? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have, but I just hate it. Because <laughs> that, that's... Um, they're, they're... Sorry, go on. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Um, since we're both like battling here, um, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say uh, there is there is a uh, oh shoot, what's the name of the company? Um, there's a company that I order meat from every once in a while, and sorry, I'm just looking it up really fast. Uh, Grasslandbeef.com, mm-hmm. um, or they call them. It's called U.S. Wellness Meats. So they actually have this this uh liver worst and they have another one that's very similar and uh it actually contains various organ meats so um the liver worst is just like liver and then beef and then the other one i think has kidney in it but anyway it's like really good because like they put some seasonings in it and it looks like a it looks like a big sausage yeah and so what i do is like and it's fully cooked like it's like it's you can eat it like like it is you don't have to cook it but i cook it just because it makes it taste a little better but i'll just like chop it up into like slices or chunks and i'll cook it like i would cook breakfast sausage and while it doesn't taste as good as like fatty pork breakfast sausage it's still like pretty good and you can get a dose of organ meat every single day if you wanted to eat it so that's another way i think yeah, like I was just gonna mention, like I'm Polish, and I've always gone to like the Polish store for like certain foods back at home, and they make their own liver spread, and like whatever they put for like seasoning and stuff like that, it does not taste like liver. So like that's an easy way to incorporate it. Like I love having like toasted bread with that liver spread on top. It's like the best thing ever. So if anyone out there, go find a Polish store and go buy that thing because it's amazing. Um. Yeah, so the next thing I wanted to get into is, like, your take on nutrition. Like, we've talked a lot about everything, even organ meats, which is, like, the first on the show. But, you know, how do you coach nutrition? Like, what's your approach if you had someone Mm -hmm. brand new sign up with you today? Okay. So uh, I'll try to distill this as much as possible. But when it comes to the way I see it, I see it from a top-down view, right? So we first have like what we do habitually. Everything that we do is some sort of habit, especially food, because we've been eating since we were babies. And most of what we like and how we eat is largely dictated by our tastes and our preferences and also by convenience. And then that that also trickles down, you know, and that depends on where you're at, you know, geographically. So what I try to do is I try to get people you know, from the very beginning, I try to get them to understand eating is, is something like changing those habits is really difficult, uh, for at least in the beginning. But once you understand how, uh, eating certain foods affects your body and affects your energy levels, you know, you can make the changes that you want. But one thing I try to mention in the very beginning is shouldn't try to change everything at once. Let's just focus on one thing. And depending on the individual, they may come to me and they have, they may have incredible habits. Like they may know, like they may eat for health, like a hundred percent. 
and that's all they care about is eating for health. They just need help managing like their intake or, you know, for a specific goal. But then I might have someone who eats processed food two out of three meals a day or every meal and they have a, like a really messed up palate where everything tastes bland to them because they're so used to hyper potable, like, uh, salty, sugary, rich foods. So it just kind of really depends. But the, the thing I try to focus on first is habits and like figuring out where they're at and then what do we need to make adjustments on and how do we need to make changes? And then the next thing I really try to hammer home to individuals is you should always eat for health and longevity first and foremost. And I guess a better way of saying that is eating for your physiology. So eating in a way that allows your body to get as much vitamins and nutrients as possible um, with the most nutrient-dense foods as possible. And what I tend to do is I tend to just tell, you know, if my client has a really big interest in nutrition and understanding it, I just tell them to get the first diet and read that from that perspective. And, and, uh, but that's what, those are the two main things, like understanding the habits and where they're at personally, and then getting them to understand to eat for health and to eat for like, like maximum health everywhere. So, uh, like one thing I think is really important to focus on is, is getting enough food for your goals and then also eating the right foods that are going to serve you in the long term. So you wouldn't want a diet that is devoid in any nutrient because it could affect your thyroid health or it could affect, um, you know, your, your energy levels or your ability to produce energy, you know, in the gym or, uh, your ability to get to sleep at night. You know, there's a whole bunch of factors, but that's what I tend to focus on is habits and then eating, eating for health ultimately. No, I love it. That's good advice. And the next question I want to get into, and I've asked this to a couple people, and I actually got this a question also from Facebook, but what would your advice be to yourself, like, say, in your early 20s when you first started for, like, your own personal growth and also for your business? Oh, man. Um, for my own personal growth, my advice to myself would have been, Take, take nutrition a little more seriously. So don't rely on the hearsay or the, the opinions of, of people that I, I held in high regard and have a more, more critical view. I feel like that's easy to say now because of everything I've learned, you know, and I'm like hypercritical of anything that I read and I try to validate it for myself. But that would be the thing. Just be more critical and, and be more, like, just try to understand more and try to learn more and not be not be satisfied with understanding a little bit. And um, as far as, like, the business question, do you mean, like, how I actually run my business and, like, what I do? Um, like, I always ask this question for people who have really, like, successful businesses online, and it usually comes down to, like, what mistakes did you do in the very beginning that you look back at now, you're like, oh, I wasted so much time doing that, I should have not even started that project or something like that. Oh, sure. This is easy. So, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know why, but, like, I just, I love, like, design, 
I, I like when I was in college and when I was just starting my fitness business, um, I, for some reason was just obsessed with the way like my website looked. I don't know why. I think it's just for some reason I've always been creative and I just like design and aesthetics. Like I just like it. I don't know why, but I became really obsessed with it. And so I basically taught myself how to do WordPress design and development. And I got to a point to where I was moonlighting and people were paying me to do WordPress sites for them. And I would design the home pages and the, and the other pages. And I would like, I would code it out and I would get themes that would match and I would customize them. And I did all this shit and I did it for myself too. Like I, I would make my own sites look a certain way. And I learned later on that content is way more important than the actual like design. Right. And so the thing I would change the most is I would study like specifically copywriting and I would never have learned anything outside of just like basics that I needed to know about HTML and CSS to like manage my own site. But I would never would have learned about like, I never would have spent so much time on design and principles design and, and all that stuff. I would have, I would have had my nose like in a Dan Kennedy book or um, Gary Halbert, something like that. And I would just like, if I could go back in time, I would force myself to just sit in the library at, at MTSU and just read those books and write and copy by hand. <laughs> like, like my life would look way different now, I think. And, and not that I'm like unhappy or anything, but I'm just saying like my life would look way different if I had to like force myself to do that. Because like nowadays I've been focusing on improving my writing even more um, but I feel like I could have made a lot more progress if I had have had some type of insight into understanding that how important the communication aspect was. So, I mean, that's my, I guess that's my answer. I would have focused on copywriting. No, that makes a lot of sense. And that's like really good advice. Cause I think a lot of people nowadays trying to build an online business, they automatically think they need to have like a flashy website and have everything with like bells and whistles, but it's like, no, just, focus on the content because that's what's going to get you ahead in your career and I'm happy like you brought up the whole writing thing because you know like looking at your website you've written for like so many different publications and you've already mentioned in this episode that you know Alan Aragon really liked one of your posts and then Men's Health liked one of your posts so I'm kind of like curious of like how can you give advice for someone who wants to write for these publications like where can they start or is it just by writing good content. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. First of all, yeah, I would say the number one thing is you, you just gotta be good. Like you've gotta be a good writer. And if you're not a great writer, you need to have a strong worth at work ethic to improve. And then you need a good editor. Now, not everyone is going to, like, I don't even have an editor to this day. Like I don't, I don't hire someone to, you know, proofread my stuff. But when I was, when I was working on getting into bodybuilding.com and, um, men's health and various other outlets, uh, I worked with editors and working with editors in general, like even if you're, if you ever get a chance to write for a big outlet, just do it. Just for the just for the fact that you'll get feedback from an editor and it'll help you improve. So, 
going back to your to your original question, like, so how do you go about doing that? First of all, like I said, you gotta you gotta be good. You gotta practice, and you gotta make sure that your writing is worth reading. Um, the other thing is make friends who are in the space. Like, I can say wholeheartedly that I owe probably almost all of my publications and like my ability to get into certain outlets. I owe pretty much all of that to um, <laughs> building a relationship and becoming friends with uh, John Romanello, uh, Alan Aragon, and then also uh, my friend Stephanie, who used to work for bodybuilding.com. She edited some of my work, and then we became really good friends, and she's helped me a ton with my writing um, indirectly. Like, I don't like. I don't know if she'll even listen to this, but I don't know if she even knows that. So it'd be interesting to know if she hears that, but, um, she's helped me a ton. Like she's edited, uh, my women's product hot bod. And that was super eye opening to see like how, how much like I sucked on explaining certain topics. And a lot of that was just because I have an expert bias, you know, like I've been doing and thinking about this stuff so much and I haven't spent I haven't spent a ton of time relaying the info, either verbally or or on you know like on digital paper or digital real estate or however you want to say it. Um, and so she picked out a lot of things that were just like glaringly like bad, but it helped me improve because it made me really think from a from a beginner's perspective. So um, recap really fast: be good at what you do, make friends in the space, and then. Um, be willing to be okay with like lots of rejection, you know, like I've, I've had articles like pitched to various big publications that I've been like so excited about and they just never happen. And, uh, yeah. And also too, like as far as writing goes, um, I wouldn't say it's not important anymore cause it's still very, very important like to be in the big publications. But I would say that with the way media is going and social media, um, I don't like, like if I were, if I were trying to do it all over again, I don't know if that would be my approach this time around. Like it was great. Like I can go show you books and stuff in all, and you know, in, in stores like men's health and various other like publications that I'm in. But I think a lot of times people have this assumption that, oh, once I get into men's health, like my life's going to change. Like I'm going to be, you know, to have tons of leads and tons of business and traffic's going to spike and all this other stuff. Um, I just don't think that's true, especially where we're headed with how much power people are able to get through social media. Yeah, like I completely agree with you. I just kind of look at now like longer, say, blog posts or articles or for those people that are like almost true fans of what you do so Mm -hmm. say you have like a short little post or like infographic on instagram and then you link it to a blog post that's like five thousand words most likely those people who are going to read those five thousand words are most likely going to be that next lead to a next client or someone advisor t-shirt or something like that so i think you kind of have to have a mix of everything nowadays oh yeah you totally do and 
majority of my writing is very long form. I mean, like I published an article yesterday called The Long Road is... Wait, The Long Road is the Short Road. Yeah, that's it. Um, and when I was outlining this thing, I thought it would be like 1,200 words, 1,300 words, whatever. It ended up being like 2,400 words or something. Like, like I just... I don't know. Like, I, I really like doing long-form content for a couple reasons. One is because I tend to pick topics that need to be covered thoroughly. Um, but also because it, it helps me in various ways. Like, um, number one, there's not really that many people, fit, well, I'll just say fitness writers, that are actually putting out really great content, long-form content. And then... Uh, the ones that are doing that tend to get the most traction in terms of like people, you know, paying attention. Right. Like I can send my email list an article that's 5,000 words and there are going to be people on there that read it from start to finish and then send me an email and say, wow, can you tell me more about this? Can you tell me more about this or whatever? Or they'll share it, you know, whatever. Um, there's not really that many people that are willing to, to put in that time and effort. And, And honestly, like, it's hard work, like sitting down and writing, you know, a 4,000 word piece, like takes a lot of mental effort. Oh, big time. Do you, do you find like you're more productive in certain parts of the day? Like for me, like if I have to write a blog or something like first thing in the morning, making coffee and just sitting down and hammering some paragraphs or at least a sentence is like the best for, thing for me. But do you have a certain time of the day where you can just hammer out a whole blog post? Um, it really just depends these days. I'm not like, so I'm writing almost every day, not every day, almost every day, but there, but I, I hardly ever sit down and just have a eureka moment in the morning where I just like write out two or 3000 words. It usually comes in spurts and I would say I'm most productive in the morning between like seven and nine. I usually get up between six and six thirty, and uh, like I'm 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 basically useless until I get a cup of coffee in me, and then and then I sit down and I will focus on some type of writing, if that's the main focus for the week. Like I have other weeks where I have other things that just have to be done, but I, I write two emails a week no matter what doesn't matter, um, and those are practice for me. So like I'll sit down and I'll like bang out like a, you know, six to eight hundred word email all free form from the dome, just like putting it down. And those come out pretty quickly. But when it comes with articles that I like have a very specific purpose, like I am targeting these terms. This is what I'm touching on. This is how I'm going to elaborate. This is how I'm breaking it down. It's almost kind of like writing a small book. So I'll usually do that in like five or 600 words spurts. And then that's a couple times a week. And uh, very rarely will ha- like with this one I wrote re- recently, the long road is a short road. Um, I actually, I think I probably wrote 15 to 2000, 1500, 2000 words in a sitting in like, like, like a, like couple hours. But that is like so rare. Like I don't even count that. That was just like a, a fluke. So, um, as far as like produ- productivity though, like usually in the morning when I'm having coffee and, uh, periods of 30 to 60 minute writing sessions. And then I I do the best when I do that five days a week. Um, But again, like my schedule doesn't always allow it. I have other things that I have to work on, like 
whether it be writing sales copy or writing, you know, creating a web page or, or, um, you know, doing specific things for my emails or, uh, working on technical shit that no one really cares about, but it's important. You know, there's a lot of things like that. Awesome. So I think that's a good place to stop because we're getting close to an hour, but, uh, for the very last question, where can people find you online? What projects do you have coming up or any kind of speaking engagements or anything else you want to plug away you can right now? Sure. So the best place to find me is just jcdfitness.com, uh, homepage, easy enough. I am currently working on a program that uh, is it's another women's-focused training program. That's all I can really say at this point. Um but it'll be a great addition to my hot bod women's program. And, um, no, that's it. Other than that, you can find me, you can also find me on Instagram, uh, just Instagram.com slash J C D E E N. And then, uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Perfect. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 134 with J.C. Dean. Just a reminder, if you're not subscribed to the Cut the Shit, Get Fit newsletter, I'm going to put it in the show notes. And every week on Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I send out a awesome email filled with workouts, whatever's on my mind, a blog that I wrote, whatever kind of just comes to mind. It's kind of a free form type of thing. So be sure to sign up for that. And again, share this podcast with your friends and family all over social media so I can grow this thing to one of the best podcasts in fitness and health. And I will be forever grateful. Have an awesome day, you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed this one as much as I did. And until next time.